It's a well-worn cliche, but Brian Pillman truly was one of a kind. Known as the loose cannon, Pillman blurred fiction and reality, leaving both the fans and his fellow wrestlers questioning his sanity. At the height of the Monday Night War, he ambitiously played WCW and the WWF off against each other with the aim of making himself the biggest superstar in wrestling history. But Pillman also faced a series of painful setbacks in his life, both professionally and personally. And in the end, he'd die tragically young. Before we start today's video, if you like this kind of content, a thumbs up and a subscribe would be much appreciated. As a child, Brian Pillman underwent over 40 painful surgeries to remove polyps in his throat. Those surgeries altered his voice, giving him his gravelly affectation that he would become known for later in life. And it also gave bullies a reason to pick on him. As he got older, Pillman learned to defend himself against those bullies physically, which led him to getting into trouble for street fighting. As he reached his late teens, he would end up channeling his anger into football. But unfortunately, he was considered too small to be picked for Cincinnati's first team. His journey then took a turn north to Calgary, where he aimed to continue his football career. But it was during his time in Calgary that he saw an advert for the Hart family dungeon, and he decided to try out. The dungeon was infamous in the wrestling world for chewing up aspiring wrestlers and spitting them out. Stu Hart was one of the most ruthless wrestling trainers in the world. But Pillman wasn't scared. He was a born performer and he was born tough and he took to wrestling like a natural. It was on a visit back home in Cincinnati that Pillman met Rochelle. The pair soon got married and they had a daughter together. Pillman did everything he could to see his daughter as often as possible while also chasing his wrestling dream. His relationships extended into the wrestling world too. With Brett and Owen Hart, Pillman forged bonds so strong that they viewed him as a brother. It wasn't long before Pillman debuted in Stu Hart's Stampede Wrestling promotion. Here, Pillman wasn't just another wrestler, he was a sensation. Stu saw something really special in Pillman, and he wasn't wrong. He recognised that Pillman wasn't just good in the ring, he was also hugely charismatic, and fans didn't have to stretch to buy into his persona. Pillman began sending out tapes to the likes of WCW and the WWF. Among the tapes that Pillman sent out was one addressed directly to Jim Ross in WCW. JR had already read about Brian Pillman and he couldn't wait to sign him up to a contract. As Pillman signed a contract with WCW in 1989, it was a bittersweet moment for his wife and daughter. WCW had a touring schedule, which meant that he wasn't just going to stay in one place like Calgary. He was on the road for many months of the year, which was a tough reality for him to take but on the flip side, he was now earning more money than he'd ever dreamed possible, which provided him and his family with a comfortable living while he was away. Ric Flair was WCW's head booker at the time, 
and he immediately recognised Pillman's potential. Pillman was placed in a tag team with Tom Zenk. Together, they won the World Tag Team titles, and later he became the first ever WCW Light Heavyweight Champion. Pillman even headlined against Ric Flair on TV. Flair wanted an opponent who could keep up with him, both in the ring and in the nightclub after the show, and Brian was the perfect fit. For a time, Pillman and Flair were best friends. Pillman just loved the kind of wrestling lifestyle that Flair lived. Pillman, also like Flair, couldn't resist the huge amount of attention he was getting from the female fans. It was in Atlanta where he met a girl named Melanie, and she quickly became pregnant with his child. He didn't tell his wife Rochelle back at home about this situation, but one night, Melanie called their house phone and revealed the affair to his wife. It wasn't long before Pillman divorced Rochelle, and then he got married to Melanie. Pillman's trajectory in WCW started to nosedive. Ole Anderson was the new booker, and he didn't consider Pillman the star that Ric Flair did. Despite his evident talent and charisma, Pillman found himself caught in a frustrating cycle of stop-and-start pushes, and thanks to Anderson, he was losing more of his matches. And then, Pillman was paired with Steve Austin. Austin was expecting a singles push of his own at the time, and the idea of being half of a tag team did not make him happy. Initially, both Pillman and Austin agreed that they didn't want to be in this tag team, Yet, as they began travelling together, they formed a close bond. Pillman was a natural at playing a villain too. The chemistry and the charisma of the Hollywood Blondes led them to a main event match against a returning Ric Flair at Clash of the Champions 23. But despite the match having a good build-up, which saw Austin and Pillman mocking Flair and Arn Anderson, the ratings were disappointing and the fingers were pointed at Pillman and Austin. Word started to get around backstage that the men couldn't draw money, not even against the legendary Four Horsemen. The team was soon disbanded, leaving both Pillman and Austin totally unhappy over the decision. For Pillman, things went from bad to worse, as his wife Melanie developed a serious substance abuse problem and then his ex-wife Rochelle went missing. Rochelle was found alive some time later, but Brian and Melanie then decided to use the situation in order to gain full custody of his children from Rochelle. This would be a decision that Pillman would live to regret for the rest of his life, as Rochelle, unable to see her children, committed suicide soon after. As Brian Pillman's WCW contract neared its end, he became laser-focused on maximising his earnings. Eric Bischoff was now in charge of WCW, and Pillman hoped that he could squeeze him for more money. He now had five children depending on him, and so when it came to renegotiating his contract... Pillman aimed high. He asked for $400,000 a year, while Bischoff offered $225,000. Bischoff said that right then, he couldn't match Pillman's asking price, 
But Pillman was smart. The war between WCW and the WWF was starting to heat up, and he saw an opportunity to play Bischoff and Vince McMahon off against each other. Pillman realised that if he could make himself a bigger star, then he'd be able to negotiate a higher asking price and hopefully trigger a bidding war for his services. And so, Pillman's loose cannon persona was born. But Pillman didn't want this to be seen as just another wrestling gimmick. If his plan was to work, then he'd need to fool his peers in the locker room into believing that he'd gone off the rails. He clued Eric Bischoff in on his plans, but no one else. And so, on an edition of the Clash of the Champions, Pillman went for Bobby Heenan's neck. Wait a minute, wait, wait. are you doing? Easy. This was an unplanned moment, and it caused Heenan, who just had neck surgery, to curse out loud on live TV. His infamous shoot remark to Kevin Sullivan was another shocking moment. And I don't think this is what Aretha Franklin meant. You, Booker man. Oh, he said, I respect you. you. Sullivan was WCW's head booker at the time. Pillman's actions left even the other wrestlers backstage totally bewildered, thinking that he'd actually lost his mind. But this was all part of Pillman's master plan, to get people talking, to get his name in the news, and to increase his market value. Even his friend, Dave Meltzer, started to believe that Brian had gone bonkers, and so he started writing about him more and more in the Wrestling Observer newsletter. Pillman set up a meeting with Eric Bischoff, he wanted Bischoff to release him from his contract so he could shockingly appear in ECW for a few months. Why did Pillman want to go to ECW? Well, compared to WCW and the WWF, ECW was the Wild West. Disgruntled ex-employees of the two big companies had often landed there in order to badmouth their former employers, and Paul Heyman was known for taking in some of wrestling's more controversial personality, shall we say. Bischoff had no problem releasing Pillman. As far as he was concerned, he'd sign him back up in a few months' time after he continued developing his character in ECW. Little did Bischoff know he'd never see Brian Pillman ever again. In ECW, Pillman found the perfect platform. He could be as unfiltered as he liked. He cursed and made off-colour comments, and his promos attacking Bischoff were so intense that people were sure that he'd finally gone off the deep end. Pillman's next objective was to catch the attention of Vince McMahon. He took the opportunity to meet him at a show in Las Vegas. He managed to get a photo with McMahon, which was an unusual thing to do, to say the least. JR clued McMahon into who Pillman was, causing McMahon to ask him whether Pillman was some kind of lunatic. Nonetheless, Pillman was on McMahon's radar, and he made a big impression on him. The plan was going well so far, however, his life would take a tragic turn in April 1996. 
he fell asleep at the wheel, resulting in his car crashing into a tree. The accident left him with a shattered face and his ankle was so badly damaged that doctors told him he'd never wrestle again. But he kept that information to himself. He knew how badly this could impact his ability to negotiate a lucrative contract and so he told everyone that he'd be back in the ring in no time at all. When Vince McMahon offered him a contract, Pillman accepted. The deal was better than Pillman expected. It was a contract with guaranteed money, which was unusual for McMahon to offer at the time. However, despite raising his profile and securing a lucrative contract, Pillman was deeply unhappy. He realised that he would never be able to perform at his pre-accident level ever again, and he was in constant pain. They started a storyline involving Pillman and his old friend Steve Austin. Austin attacked Pillman's injured ankle with a steel chair during a segment. This angle gained Pillman a lot of sympathy from the fans, and he brought him some extra time where he didn't need to wrestle. During this period, Vince McMahon decided to push the boundaries of WWF programming. One angle involving Pillman was especially controversial. During a live interview from his house, Pillman was talking trash about Austin when he pulled a gun. As Austin apparently broke into the house, Pillman pointed the gun at him just as the live feed cut out. The angle generated a massive number of complaints and McMahon had to issue a public apology. For those of you who were offended, those viewers, we humbly apologise for the incident that took place last Monday night on Raw. To try and keep Pillman relevant, they put him on commentary, but it was a role that he absolutely hated. He did enjoy being placed in the Hart Foundation alongside Bret and Owen, and then the WWF eventually allowed him to wrestle again on a limited basis, but each match brought with it extreme pain. In reality, his ankle wasn't healing properly, and he could barely walk through an airport let alone perform in the ring. As the pain intensified, his painkiller addiction started to mount up. Pillman was scheduled to compete at the Bad Blood pay-per-view in October 1997, but he never showed up to the arena. Jim Cornette called his hotel in Minnesota, only to learn the devastating news of Pillman's death. Vince McMahon conducted an interview with Pillman's widow Melanie on Raw, Despite her request to avoid discussing issues around drugs, McMahon probed into Pillman's substance abuse issues and even had the nerve to ask how she planned to support her children without her husband. It was seen as a really disgusting bit of exploitation for ratings on behalf of Vince McMahon. In the end, Pillman's official cause of death was actually due to an undiagnosed heart condition that ran in his family. Brian Pillman's career ended up being a tale of unfulfilled potential. With one of the smartest minds ever seen in the business, he almost achieved his dream of becoming the biggest superstar in wrestling history. But tragically, he just fell short. When he passed away at just 35 years of age, he left us all wondering, what if?